Welcome to Behind the Backline, the podcast where we chat with merchants, brands, and industry professionals in the musical instrument, pro audio, and event technology space about their products, services, industry trends, stories, and more. Join us now as we dig into the stories behind our favorite backline gear. Hey guys, welcome to episode 36 of Behind the Backline. My name is Matt Jacoby. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Michael Melinda, a uh, former editor-in-chief of Guitar Player Magazine. Hi, Michael. Nice, uh, thanks for having us. Or thank you for join, joining me. <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah. uh, wait a minute. I'm having you. My bad. Okay, I'll spit that out right. <laughs> yeah, you, you called me, remember? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. I was just ran, randomly having someone call me and like, hey, can I be on your podcast? <laughs> so I would, uh, I would never do that to you, Matt. Okay, that's all right. I understand. I, I appreciate the invite. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, let's uh, start off things by having you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, and um, uh, we'll let's just start there because I know that the uh, the company side of things gets a little crazier. So we'll just start with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just I'm just a lucky guy who uh, you know always wanted to be a writer. I mean, I was making my own comic books out of binder paper, staples, and crayons when I was like probably ten or eleven, and you know, just luckily kind of fell into two things that were awesome, at least for me, you know, music being one and uh, journalism being the other. So uh, yeah, just a lucky guy that, that bounced into a bunch of awesome opportunities and those two, uh, two fields. And, and today I'm just a little happy Italian boy. <laughs> wow. I've never heard it quite uh, put quite like that before, but <laughs> what, <the> happiness, <laughs> uh, a little happy Italian boy. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe not so much a boy anymore. Maybe. <laughs> You're only as old as you feel, right? <laughs> yeah, oh boy, yeah. yeah. That's well, me in a nutshell. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, uh, you know, Guitar Player Magazine. Now, this is ironic because I, I'm a drummer for about 24, 25 years now. I, I can't speak much to any guitar player publication out there. But, um, you know, how did, uh, how did you get into that? Um, uh, was that was that a straight out of um, was that a first job or was that kind of a um, dream job or where did how did you get into guitar player? Well, it was definitely a dream job. It wasn't a first job. I mean, out of uh, college, I worked for some local newspapers and uh, then had kind of a, a music musician career for a while and opened a couple of recording studios. Uh, initially, around 1990, um, I applied. I saw. Uh, a classified ad for electronic musician in the newspaper, you know, back when there were such things as classified ads in print newspapers <laughs> that actually got any uh, engagement. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, you know, I, I got the job electronic musician as, a, as an assistant editor, worked my way up to editor in chief. Um, once again, I, I got lucky there because uh, I was a recording guy. I was always interested in uh, record, you know, music production and things like that. Uh, the home studio market was starting to explode right at the time I got to the magazine, which was previously more of a computer DIY slash keyboard synth type magazine. Um, so we took advantage of the home studio uh, market. Uh, the magazine grew pretty fast because of that, because obviously a lot of manufacturers were making products for the burgeoning home studio market. And um, along with the staff, I kind of got the credit 
for that. Uh, you know, I guess it's, you know, it was undeserved because I didn't deserve the full credit, but it's nice to be the guy on top of the masthead. Uh, <laughs> and, and because of that, when Guitar Player was having some challenges about 1997-ish, um, the publishers, uh, Ed Senstack and Ross Garnick, pretty much headhunted me to um, come and help out uh, GP. So uh, in 90, late 97, I believe, uh, I finally took the job there and uh, spent 21 years there uh, of, of joy and wonder with a few frustrating parts. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't every job? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. No whining. I, I'm not whining. No, understandable. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was the uh, the decision or uh, the factor of leaving the magazine? Uh, well, it wasn't my decision exactly. Um, uh, Future UK, uh, which is a big uh, publishing conglomerate based in England, uh, bought New Bay Media, which at the time had owned Guitar Player, uh, Guitar World. Um, bass player, electronic musician, keyboard, and uh, yeah, I guess I guess it was about it. Um, and uh, initially it looked like everything was going to be fine. They, they wanted to extend their portfolio. And we had these meetings with their upper management, which was like, uh, hey, we believe in print. We believe in these brands. Um, you know, uh, let's let's go. Let's let's be successes. And then uh, couple of months after that, they pretty much decided to lay anybody off who had a, a salary. Um, it was kind of a, I, at the time I was joking that we got Gordon geckoed, you know, if you're into the Wall Street movie. Okay. The Michael Douglas character. It's just, you know, company got bought and just splintered apart by the, uh, by the new buyer. So that was disappointing, not only for me, but for a lot of the uh, very smart and wonderful people that I had been working with. Uh, a lot of uh, unbelievably talented editors kind of got tossed into the, the wind. So, uh, you know, business reality, can't whine about that either. But it, it, I thought it was sad for the brand and obviously sad for uh, the people and the um, community that they have been writing for. Gotcha. Yeah, being in uh, content marketing myself, now I'm not a journalist, but um, I, uh, I see a lot of former journalists coming over to that for blog grading and social media and anything content related, just because a lot of those print jobs and, you know, there's, there's all, everybody's got a different story, but they're all coming over to that kind of thing because there's almost a new type of market for journalism. Would you find any, uh, any reason for that to be kind of a part of your future or? Yeah, I, I guess I should decide what my future is going to be. I guess, I, should, <laughs> I guess I should stop, you know, waiting for, uh, DSS Masson or whatever Masson to come down and say, you know, okay, Mike, here's what you're going to do next. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but yeah, it's just a matter of finding the, the right fit. I mean, there's a lot of manufacturers that um, obviously I, that know me from uh, being the editor of the magazine. Um, uh, I am doing some uh, freelance work for a, a few of them now, uh, you know, line six being one of them, which was uh, appreciated. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how journalism has um, kind of morphed. I mean, you know, it was funny because like my dad, when I was into music, I mean, I got a journalism degree, which he was happy about when I decided to be a, a, a rock star, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> he was pretty upset about that in a certain way and, and, and worried about me. Um, and I had to agree with him. I knew that the music thing was going to go up and down. 
because that's what happens in, in, you know, if you have a music career. But I always thought that the communication arts were going to be fine, you know. So it was, you know, kind of daunting when a lot of the people I had gone to journalism school with who were working on the Washington Post or the New York Times or things like that were losing their jobs. And, you know, I was still working, but you could see kind of the writing on the wall. Um, so, uh, you know, actually, sorry, Dad, the, the corporate you know, communications job really wasn't as, as secure as, <laughs> as you might thought it was going to be. And, and yes, absolutely. You know, anybody who can write or provide content, it's not like you're going to write a, you know, work for a, a, a print publication or, or even a, a branded website any, anymore. You know, you're probably going to have to do a lot of stuff to keep, to keep afloat, you know, as, as you well know. Yeah, freelancers are definitely uh, becoming quite a norm for a lot of people, especially if, if you like, you know, own a smaller agency, you, you can't do all the work yourself. And it just, you almost kind of build that virtual team and it's almost a little bit more cost effective. And but, I mean, you don't want to do, hate, hate to use that word just because you, you still want to pay people fair wages and everything. But yeah, it, it is quite a tremulous time out there. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and the pay thing is interesting too. You know, once again, not whining, I just had some funny you know, uh, situations where somebody called me up and said, uh, oh man, I'm so bummed that you got uh, let go of a guitar player, but you know, you're, you're awesome. You're, you're an amazing writer. You're just, uh, you know, just completely cheesing me right and left. And then said, I'd love you to write for our website and we pay $50 for a thousand words or something. And I kind of let that sit for a second. And I went, wow you know, you really can't get me for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, but that, you know, that happens a lot more than it, it doesn't happen. It seems that some of these websites really don't pay a lot. I mean, I mean, even like the Huffington Post or something like that, a lot of that's kind of like volunteer journalism in a way, you, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, being paid uh, nicely would be awesome. Yeah, um, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to the days when, you know, journalism was still paying, <laughs> <laughs> um, I see that uh, during your time uh, with GP that uh, you guys had launched uh, Guitar Player TV in 2006. Was that something that you were a driving force behind? or? I think that I actually launched that YouTube channel using my personal email and things like that. Uh, at the time, <laughs> the company... Uh, wasn't really looking at that stuff. And obviously the staff knew that we had to, to go there. Uh, I don't think we did as good a job as, as we could have. Maybe that was because we just weren't smart enough or we didn't have enough uh, investment either um, money-wise or even uh, assistance-wise with the, the main uh, company. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I was happy that we all kind of did it kind of like a DIY thing. I mean, I, I always kind of dig those things where the staff kind of figures something out. You got a bunch of talented people together and they go, well, we have to do this. How are we going to do it? And you just figure it out on your own. I mean, those things always give me a lot of pleasure. And, uh, and yeah, you know, the team pretty much figured that out. And I mean, not, not, you know, not that it's trying to figure out, you know, geometry or anything, but, um, but it was one of those instances where, we had to step in where the corporate entity really, for whatever reason, wasn't really putting much uh, importance on that endeavor. It's a, well, it's, it's nice that when your uh, staff will um, 
you know, come around and they are actually doing work that they want to do, you know, and you're like, forget, forget corporate. <laughs> They'll just, you know, to do their own thing. And, you know, that's, that's cool. And you're like, Oh, we should jump into something else and, and say, uh, you know, what else do we, what else can we expand on? Cause you know, everything's changing so much with digital. Yeah. Well, the upside was that, uh, you know, the upside and downside was that, you know, corporate kind of left us uh, alone to our own devices, which was great. You know, the downside of that is, uh, sometimes you could have used some investment or, uh, you know, resources and not necessarily money resources, but even, you know, having extra, extra help to make it, make it happen. But, uh, and, you know, cause the, the, the interesting thing was when a future uh, bought us and then was kind of looking at the digital initiatives and all that. And you know, I would get these calls like, so why is the are the socials all under your personal email? <laughs> <laughs> why, oh, no. isn't there, why isn't there a corporate at guitar player magazine dot com email? And it's like, well, because those dudes didn't do that. <laughs> And then, then that was across the board. You know, the bass player guys did it on their own and uh, uh, keyboard guys and the uh, electronic musician guys as, as well. Um, you know, we all kind of worked together. I mean, I was editorial director over those magazines as, as well, but um, you know, I didn't have to do much direction there because pretty much all the staffs knew they had to make this happen. But, I, you know, it was, I think it was kind of a headache when Future bought us. It's like, we can't track down all this stuff. What's going on? <laughs> So did you hear from them quite a bit then after you were done there, just as they were tracking all the stuff down? Uh, yeah, I, I, occasionally. I mean, you know, not, not a lot, but um, I think once they got through with the uh, redundancies and we're looking at, you know, who's controlling what and trying to bring the, the freelance staff up to speed. Yeah. I mean, I, I got consulted a fair amount. Gotcha. So, um, you know, over your time, I, I'm assuming that um, Guitar Player has had a presence at NAM for most of the years that it's been in, in circulation? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You know, the magazine was founded in 1967. I'm sure, uh, you know, it didn't start out covering gear. It was mostly about artists, but probably by the time we got to 6970 and maybe earlier, I'm sure the magazine was all, always had a presence at NAM. Okay. I've only been to NAM once and it wasn't something that I was um, uh, visually looking for, but um, it's good to know that it'd be, it'd be fun to stop by sometime if I'm there again and just kind of scope it out, even though, you know, I have, I know three chords. <laughs> well, there, 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 there are drum products at NAM too, Matt. <laughs> there are, there are. And I, and I, I've, I've had the hearing loss in that room to, to oh, prove, yeah. prove it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny that, the drummers kind of dwarf the, you think the guitar players would be blasting out and getting a, police, as they call them at NAM, you know, the noise police shutting him down, but no, it's mostly the drummers that get in trouble. <laughs> oh man. That was, uh, uh, I had interviewed, um, Brian Wampler from Wampler pedals and, uh, one of his main things was, um, the, one of the things that sucks about NAM is how many people have to test the symbols at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> And I can, I uh, totally agreed with that. I, you can't, you got to run through that hall to get to, to go back to sanity. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's daunting. It's <laughs> really daunting. <laughs> so uh, I suppose uh, um, that's probably enough, uh, a trip down memory lane for you, I suppose. Um, uh, <laughs> kind of want to jump into what, what you're currently doing, which would be much more happy, I'm sure at this point, um, at least for you, um, like, you know, but, but your, uh, your family or not, but uh, <laughs> Uh, tell us a little bit about um, Guardians of Guitar. 
Uh, well, uh, that is, um, it was super nice, obviously, that I, I developed a, a community um, as editor in chief of guitar player. I mean, that's to be expected, especially when you've been, been, been someplace so long. And I just felt that all these people that had supported me throughout the years, maybe, I mean, here's kind of a leap of faith here, you know, maybe still wanted to hear what I had to say about things. Uh, in addition, I knew that guitar player wasn't going to be the way it was for the past 20 years. And, and, and this isn't arrogant speaking, and I obviously have no huff with the current uh, regime. They're all good people and good good writers. But it, it's a different model when it's more about revenue. And, and, and I don't think any of the people who work at GP today would, you know, would have a huff with me saying that. Um, so things switch around a little bit, uh, maybe certain things don't get covered as much, maybe, you know, the, the whole charity aspect kind of goes out the window. Uh, we, we used to do a fair amount of benefits and things like that, you know, uh, when I was there. So I just felt, um, also I didn't want to disappear. You know, I, I didn't want to be that guy where people go, uh, yeah, I think that dude used to be editor or guitar player. I don't know what he's doing now. Is he selling shoes at Macy's or what's he doing? Um, <laughs> So uh, I decided to start guardiansofguitar.com and I've got a Facebook page and Twitter and uh, Instagram uh, because I, I still wanted to speak to those people who enjoyed what I and the rest of the staff did when we were at Guitar Player. Um, it's, you know, it's funny. My wife asked me, it's like, well, what's your uh, unique marketing position? You know, she was being all businessy on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't really, because my wife's really smart, but you know, but I said, well, I don't really have one, honey. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be text and it's going to be video and it's going to be pictures and things like that, which, which every guitar website already has. The only difference is it's just me with my own bizarre view of artists and uh, gear and, and how I, and how I write, you know, I, I don't know if there's going to be a big audience for that. Um, I hope so, but I just feel the need that I have to continue the, uh, you know, I have to continue the job, so to speak. And if I have to continue the job on my own, that, that, that's fine. Um, so basically that just kind of inspired it. And what I've been doing is, um, you know, once again, pretty much doing the same thing I did at, at GP. Um, but, uh, just trying to, take, you know, evangelical has kind of a bad connotation these days, but I am, I am just trying to evangelize guitar as much as I can uh, in, you know, new players, female players, you know, old players who might've been forgotten, um, things, things like that. You know, once again, it, it's not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It, it's just Mike's view on the guitar scene, I guess. Gotcha. And do you see like um, any of your former, GP colleagues maybe joining up forces at some point and like considering this as a version two of the magazine. Yes. I mean, they've all, it's, they've all been uh, incredibly supportive and they, they are, most of them are listed as guardians, you know, like meet the guardians. There's a little uh, space on the website where you can see and you know, Matt Black and Barry Cleveland are there. I used to work with me a guitar player, Jimmy Leslie. Um, so they're, they're, they're there. Um, I haven't, uh, had them contribute yet because I want to 
figure out the uh, the revenue standpoint because I definitely want to pay them for their contributions. But they're all of them are supportive, and all of them have been great, you know, uh, you know, advice givers, and you know, it's been great to get their counsel on whatever moves we make. So, so they are involved. They just, people just won't see their writing yet. Got it. Well, it's good that you guys are all kind of like, hey, let's let's do this again. You know, it's it's good to have that. Uh, uh, what it called? Not not club, but like uh, that community of people that you can rely on and potentially still do what you were doing before and not lose that at all. Yeah, I mean, because it was devastating for the staff too when all this happened. Even those that had been laid off previous. I mean, everybody loves the guitar player brand. Um, it when you wonder is it going to continue? Uh, you know, is future going to still see uh, a benefit to having that brand as a print magazine? Um, I imagine you know, future really doesn't have individual websites for their publications, at least the music ones. They have this thing called musicradar.com. So eventually the websites might go away and be incorporated into music. The guitar content will be incorporated in music radar. I mean, obviously, I don't know the plans, but this is the way things uh, have been working previous to them purchasing uh, Guitar Player and Guitar World. So, it, like I said, it, it was devastating to a lot of the staff, you know, and, and they, they want to continue to present content in the way that they always did. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, they're raring to go. Well, hopefully that's it's not going. They're not going to completely erase a, a legacy that you guys built because you know that it always would suck to see like your hard work disappeared like that. I mean, I realize things are changing, and you know, like you said, you can either fight it or go with it, but uh, it's not always fun. No, and I mean, this is a a fifty year old brand, uh, more than fifty years now, that has always been you know respected and credible. You know, uh, you know, from Bud Eastman founding it and you know, 67 to, uh, you know, Jim Crockett being, you know, uh, one of the publishers, uh, you know, the, the late Tom Wheeler being, you know, the famous editor of Note, uh, you know, Don Men and, and on and on. I mean, there's just a, a ton of amazing editors, uh, you know, just years of amazing content. And I, I would hate to see the brand, you know, disappear too, but you know, kind of the way of the, the world, a, a lot of magazines I liked are no longer around. So what are you going to do? You know, you yeah. can whine or you can just put one foot in front of the other and keep, keep evolving. Yeah. There's always something better. Well, not always better, different, maybe better, maybe worse out there to replace it. But <laughs> yeah. well, cool. Well, before we kind of started to wrap up, I wanted to quick touch one last thing. on um, you had mentioned um, being a part of a digital label. Did you want to touch on that at all? Uh, yeah, I uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Ted Mason, runs uh, MI5 Recordings, which is part of uh, the Universal Music Group. And when I was laid off, he was nice enough to call me and say, uh, "Hey, man, you know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you part of this label." So uh, he set something up where um, uh, I'm kind of the international A and R person for uh, guitar instrumental stuff. And uh, the West Coast person for uh, for rock music, so it. I was happy. It's not going to be so much. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to buy a mansion. You know, uh, with uh, any earnings from it, but it does help me in that the evangelical part of guitar, guardian guitar to promote guitar music. I now have a label where if I find someone who I think is an interesting or. Uh, 
progressive or shocking, you know, guitar player, I can, uh, I can sign them up for a digital deal and uh, actually, actually help them. So um, it's, uh, I haven't, I've got, I gave um, one uh, young person, it uh, goes by the name JJ Savage. I, I presented him with the Ronnie Montrose Rock the Nation Award um, in January which I, I run that with Lisa Montrose, uh, Ronnie Montrose's widow. And it, it's basically an award to kind of recognize young talent. So I think he'll probably be the first one that I do a digital single with. Um, I'm looking to, uh, you know, more mature artists as well. Uh, so I, I think uh, this label is going to give me a chance to further promote uh, guitar playing. So I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about that. That is a pretty cool situation. You know, if, when you put it that way, um, you know, being able to just have, have an outlet to, to take those people that you're writing about and, Hey, I really like this one and actually be able to help them and do something for them. So <laughs> that's pretty nice. And it's interesting because I was worried that, you know, nobody really pays very few people pay advances anymore. And, you know, with me coming up in the sixties and seventies, you know, there was all the advance was always what you were going for. And I went, well, how do I attract people? But it really is amazing how many famous guitar players want to be, involved with this and they know they're not going to get an advance and they want just to be part of the label for promotional aspects or or, or what or just to get their stuff out there you know um a little bit more uh professionally than releasing it themselves or whatever um so it, it's an interesting time for the recording industry because you know it, it's I mean, I'm not going to name any names yet, but it's been funny. People have, you know, really, you want to do this and just hand me your stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to hand you it. You know, you're just going to make money off, off downloads. Um, but that's really the way of the world, I guess, you know. Yeah, I kind of get the feeling that music itself is hard to sell now with streaming and stuff like that from a consumer standpoint, where you almost have to sell other services or the band has to be doing a lot more in terms of productizing than just their music. Is that kind of sound like a fair assumption or well well once again if you're an old guy who's gonna whine about stuff where you could say hey you know in the 70s and 80s and 90s i was just the creator all i had to worry about was writing a good song and recording a good song and putting it out there and i was on tour i had tour support i made revenue from record sales i made revenue from publishing uh you know from licensing and things like that and now Wah, wah, wah. You know, I have to be a social media expert. I have to be a promotional expert. I got to deal with my own press. I got to do my own tour, you know, you know, booking and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's a different time and you do have to work harder and young people today or, or even older people who want to continue. It's like, that's just the way it is. You're, you be making the music, is just a part of your career as a musician. You know, you do also have to be real savvy about promotion. And this is even if you can afford to hire your own publicist, you still have to be able to create content to give the publicist stuff to, to uh, you know, market you with. It's, I kind of dig it actually. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, but I think having, you know, being able to talk directly to consumers about the things that you feel passionate about rather than having a bad publicist kind of just take it in a direction that you, you know, aren't comfortable with is I think it's, I think it's awesome. It's a lot of work, but I think it's awesome. 
Moral of the story, yes, bands, you have to have a real job now. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's I'm so also, much work. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I, when I've interviewed some young artists who, I, I mean, they're just, they're just mothers, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll work it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm working at Starbucks to fund my tour and I'm, I'm doing videos and I'm, I, you know, I bought a van and I'm going to put the guys and we're just going to go, we're going to play living rooms. I mean, some of these young people really work hard and they're taking crap jobs to finance their music career and they're all jumping into vans and traveling around and not knowing if they're going to have a hotel or, you know, stay at a fan's house or something. Um, I mean, that, that life doesn't seem that, uh, you know, wonderful to me at my age, but I just, I have to applaud the people that are willing to put that much personal investment into moving their music forward. Mm -hmm. You really have to have the passion to do that. And I know a couple of people who have really, um, banked on things like, um, Patreon where you really got your fan backers and you can actually maybe make a few bucks, you know, if you can get that going. So, um, I, I totally get it. Yeah. You know, once again, it, interesting times, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but Hey, you know, once again, bringing my dad back, you know, my dear late dad back in the, you know, the image, it's like, uh, dude, you gotta work hard. That, that, that's just it. You know, hard work, hard work and passion typically pays off. And I mean, even to this day, I can tell if someone's, or I like to call a, my friend, Mike Axon calls them career criminals. He's my, he's my music lawyer, you know, they're going to do it whether they make five bucks or $5 million, you know, they're just not going to stop. You know, every day they have to pick up an instrument and play it every day. They have to try to write a song every day. They can't live without having music be part of their lives. And, and it's, there's kind of a kindred spirits with these people. I mean, I, I kind of know when someone's, you know, BS and they're just doing it because they want to be famous or their ego is driving them in unhealthy ways to want to, acquire, you know, I don't know, a, a following rather than actually make music that engages people. Mm -hmm. I've heard both sides of that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, before we uh, jump off here, do you want to uh, share some of the places that people can find out more about Guardians of the Guitar? Uh, thank you, Matt. That yeah. would be awesome. Uh, uh, guardiansguitar.com. There's also Guardians of Guitar on Facebook and uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm Michael Melinda is also on Facebook. Feel free to uh, reach out. And if anybody, uh, any players out there are interested in being interviewed uh, by me or contributing in some way to Guardians of Guitar, I'm at gpeditor at gmail. Say hi to me. It'll be great. And I know he's there because I've used that email myself. So, <laughs> yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for giving me the. It's not a fake email. It's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that girl gave me her fake number again. Dang know, it. Yeah. He, invited to, he invited me to talk to him, but he never answered me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time again today. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's great talking to you, and uh, uh, I. I love your podcast. You've got tons of content up there. You're talking to a lot of interesting people, not maybe me, but you're talking to a lot of <laughs> people in the industry. You know, it, it's great to find out how, uh, you know, other manufacturers, you know, see the world these days and how they, so I, I've learned a lot already from your podcast. So it's, it was, a, it was great to be on it. I was really jazzed. Thanks for inviting me. 
Thank you for listening to Behind the Backline, brought to you by Octave Media, an inbound marketing agency focused on helping music merchants develop an automated solution to increase website sales. You can find Octave Media at www.octave.media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or Google Play Music to learn more about great products and companies in the musical instrument, pro audio, and event technology space, and be sure to leave a review to let us know what you thought of this episode. We encourage you to share us with your friends and colleagues via social media, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Hey guys, Matt here from Behind the Backline. I recently released a free on-demand training called Three Steps to Drumming Up More Website Sales. During the nine-minute video, you'll learn the secrets to streamline your brand's image and dramatically increase your website sales. If you're a music brand or a retailer and you want to increase your website sales, go to octave.media slash drum offer today. That's octave.media slash drum offer. And thanks for listening to Behind the Backline.